All right. How are your hearts feeling this morning, everyone? Feeling good? I hope they're feeling good. The best worship songs we can ever sing to the Lord are songs that remind us and tell us who he is. I know we have songs and they're beautiful songs that talk about surrender, that talk about how we need him, all those things. I mean, they're all through the scriptures and you see how people cry out to God all the time. That's not unbiblical, but something about reminding us who God is. God doesn't need our worship because he is less God without it. He calls us to worship because he is worthy of that and he knows how we are created. You and I are created to worship God. Do you know that this morning? I'm asking you don't have to respond, but do you know you are created to worship God? That doesn't mean you're created to sing songs all the time. Worship is not a matter or an attitude of our, our, our voices that we have to sing certain songs. Because if that was the case, there are some people they don't like to sing, right? We have some people that they only sing in their cars or in their bathrooms or when no one else is home. And they say, I could never worship God. Worship God. Worshiping God isn't about music. It's about what God's doing in our hearts through all areas of our lives. We worship him in our time, in our thoughts, in our actions. All those things are ways that we worship God. In our humility, and our submission, we worship God. How are you all feeling this morning? March 5th, 2023. Yeah? Yeah, you guys doing okay? You can, you can respond. It's okay. You know, it's good. You're doing all right? What a beautiful day it is today. Man, I, the sun is shining. You know, it's all great. There isn't any snow in the forecast that I can see. And I know that's a bummer for some of you, but get over it. Um, maybe, maybe, maybe winter will raise its ugly head in a couple of weeks. Who knows? But if it doesn't, I am not going to complain. Uh, it's good to be with you this morning. I don't know why I bring up the weather so how much when we talk to you guys and what's going on. But I'm just... I don't know what it is. You know, yesterday afternoon, I was taking my dog out in the yard for him to go around and do some discovery and leave packages. And, uh, and I heard the birds. Do you ever just go outside and listen to the birds? Have you done that? I'm not weird. I'm being honest. There's something about nature. We've buried our heads in our work and our schedules. We've buried our heads in our technology and our live streaming. And none of that can hold a candle to the creation that God has made. Paul even says in Romans, all creation gives testimony, testifies to the presence and the goodness of God. Going out and going for a walk and watching and looking at all the things around us. That is a way we see God all around us. That is something that's worth being thankful for. Amen. So I encourage you this morning to take some time and go out and recognize nature is not just for the birds. (laughs) See what I did there? It's also for us. If you have your Bibles with you, please open to the book of 1 Samuel chapter 17. 1 Samuel chapter 17. Um, We are in our Bible engagement series, and we are moving at a steady pace. We started this in October of last year. October, November, December, January, February. We are in our sixth month of 10 months of Bible engagement, which means we are in our sixth scripture. We are in, um, today we're looking at volume five, 
and we are starting a new volume. We're looking specifically at session one. It is in 1 Samuel 17, 32 through 51. We'll get there in just a few moments. But this month's faith, faith verse is out of Matthew chapter 5, verse 16. And this is what it says. Jesus said, in the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see, so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. In the same way, let your good deeds, everyone say deeds with me, deeds shine out for all to see, so that everyone will praise who? Your heavenly Father. Sometimes we can misinterpret a scripture like this. And we can look at things like deeds and say, well, our deeds are the things that we just do to help other people. That's not true. It's a piece of it, but it doesn't mean it's all of it. Our deeds may not just be what we do for someone else. Our deeds may be how we think, who we forgive, how we bless others, how we study the word of God. It's not just about us to other people, but it's a mindset. What he's saying is, let every part of your life, in the way you serve others, in the way you forgive others, in the way you bless others and care for others, in the way you humbly submit your life to me, let all of your good deeds shine out for everyone to see. Why? So they can see you as a really awesome person. No. What does it say? It says, so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father, this is so important, and the timing of it couldn't be any better. Everyone will praise your heavenly Father. You know what I love about this scripture? That it reminds us that God doesn't call us, Jesus doesn't call us to live a certain way for him so that people can recognize us. It's so that others will recognize him. This has never been about me, and it's never been about you. In fact, none of this is about us. It's about God loving us, God saving us. And we're going to talk about that a little bit today. The message title today is called A Lifestyle of Preparation for a Lifetime of Praise. A Lifestyle of Preparation for a Lifetime of Praise. I think we understand the concept of preparation. It can come in many different ways, in many different forms. And preparation is usually for an event. Maybe it's a test or a competition or a career. It could be one of thousands of different things. But today we're going to talk about a lifestyle, living a lifestyle of preparation for a lifetime of praise. Have you ever considered this? Have you ever considered that God may be preparing you now for the future? And if you have considered that, I wonder what that looks like to you. If I was going to ask everyone here to define what future looks like, many times we will define future as a fixed point, an event, a destination, that God is preparing us now for the future, that it is a destination and one specific. Maybe God is saying, well, he's preparing me and I'm a student so that I can go and have this job. Or he's preparing me um, in a... He's preparing me in this, um, in this training athletically so that I can compete uh, against my peers or whatever. He's, comp- he's preparing me in these different ways for a specific event or a specific point in time. What if the preparation that God is doing through us isn't about a moment or an event, but the future is just ongoing? What if preparation 
isn't just about a moment or an experience where we can say, God's preparing me today, and I know this thing is happening right now because two years from now, hopefully, there'll be an answer for why that happened. Do we think like that sometimes? That we think, Lord, I don't know what's going on in this situation right now, and I'm really struggling with it, but you know what? What I see in Scripture and what I know other people have told me, there has to be a reason for this, and I'm looking out to a fixed point all the way over here because one day all this is going to make sense. Here's the problem with that thinking. It doesn't always work that way. It doesn't. You go through on this side of your life trials, pain, struggles, hardship, loss, discouragement, depression. You're going to take all the things that we go through in this life and we, in our human minds, are going to try to pinpoint a fixed point farther on down the line to say, you know what? I lost my family member in that way, during that way, because God had a reason for it and here's what the reason is. That's really bad thinking. And that is not biblical thinking. Some of you heard me tell the story years ago, and I think we try in our humanness to connect the dots, knowing someone many years ago who lost a child, uh, a young, I think the child wasn't born, actually. It was, um, it was um, stillborn. So it was born, but born and passed away. And this woman came to me, and she wept for so many years. She's not figuring out, God, why did my child die? Why did my child die? And finally, this lady came to her and said, the reason why God let your child die because that there was a woman in heaven that needed a baby. And this was the reason why your child died. And she said, I had so much comfort after saying that. And all I wanted to do in my heart, I was screaming. That is the dumbest thing I've ever heard someone say to someone. And it wasn't because their motivation wasn't right. Do you understand what I'm saying? I'm sure their motivation was to help that person. That motivation was to bring comfort to that person. But we are so eager as people to look at our circumstances in our lives and look for the fixed point out in the future to say, what is the reason that God is allowing this to happen in my life? And we want to know so one day we can cross into a new world and go, aha, all that junk happened to me for such a time as this right in this moment. Now, does God use certain circumstances in our lives over here because there are things that he uses us for on that side? Absolutely 100%. Right? We would agree with that. Right, Many of us would agree with that. He absolutely does that. But it is not a formula, and it's not really the way we're supposed to be looking at Scripture. Today, we are looking at something broader than that. And if I can boil this down in this passage, which I'm sure many of you have heard in different ways, here's what I want to say about this morning. God doesn't waste any part of our life. He can use every experience to glorify his name and make us more like Jesus. He doesn't waste any part of our lives. What does he do with our life? He can use every experience to glorify his name. Priority number one, to glorify his name and to make us more like Jesus. What is this telling me as I read this and I look at the scripture this morning we're going to look at? The story is not about us. The word of God is not about you. It's not about me. God didn't put all these things together and have people write it inspired through his spirit so that we could walk away and believe he wrote us a manual to get through life because it's all about us. We go through difficult things because this is going to happen or God's going to show us what the plan was. It happens in different times and different ways, but ultimately the experiences we have are never wasted by God. He uses every experience to glorify his name. And in the process, he makes us more like Jesus. Okay, you with me? 
Okay, 1 Samuel chapter 17. We are going to read one of the most familiar stories. People know this story, whether they understand Christianity or not. They have heard the story of David and Goliath, right? Now, images might come to your mind this morning as we're talking about David and Goliath. Different pictures of who David were, was or who Goliath was. As I was rehearsing this in my mind because my kids grew up in the VeggieTales era, I immediately went to Dave and the Giant Pickle. And some of you know this story with the pickle and the giant pickle who stood there and said, who will fight me? And, you know, he got there, the little asparagus got up and he said, I will fight you. And I remember watching that over and over and over again. But when I was younger, David and Goliath was really close to my heart because I remember in the church I grew up in, I was David in a play. And I wore the armor of God and I had my sling that I made and I got some pebbles out of the parking lot and my cousin was Goliath and he, he was like eight or nine feet tall on stilts and he put on a fake beard and it was hysterically ridiculous. And, and we had a good time. There's a picture of me holding this laughing when he almost fell over. He didn't know his lines so he wrote them all on the shield and he was reading them from the stage. True story. I knew my lines. He didn't know his lines. So that's what are you going to say. But I was six years old or seven years old, and he was a grown adult. So, of course, I'm going to learn it better than he would, right? So, anyway, I also remember a TV show when I was a kid, a claymation show called Davy and Goliath. Some of you know this. A little boy named Davy and a dog named Goliath. Some of you know this, right? When Goliath would talk to Davy, he would say, okay, Davy. Some of you know what I'm talking about? You know, this, some of you going, I have no idea what you're talking about. Go to YouTube, and, and, and it's one of the coolest things the Lutheran Church of America used to make this. It was really, really cool. That has nothing to do with this story, because Goliath wasn't a dog. Goliath was a giant. But people have taken this theme, and they've used it in many different ways. This is why we're going to talk about this. This story, it is so well commonly known, but if we're not careful, if we don't take what I said earlier to heart, we take a story like this and we insert ourselves into the story to make it all about us instead of God. So let's read this together. First Samuel chapter 17, we're going to read 32 to 51. David said to Saul, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. Saul replied, you are not able to go out against this Philistine and fight him. You are only a young man and he has been a warrior from his youth. Let me tell you what's going on here. Israel is up against the Philistine army and the armies have drawn lines and they're at a battle zone and they're getting ready to fight each other. And the way that they were dealing with this was that they would stand there and they basically would would shout at each other and before someone would actually go into battle and they didn't know what was going to happen. Goliath was a Philistine. He was the hero of the Philistine soldiers in the army. And the scripture said he came out every day for 40 days and he taunted the army of Israel and he defied them. In the name of his gods, he cursed the God of Israel. And he said, who are you that's going to come after us? I challenge any one of you, he said to Israel every single day. Give me your best man. Put him out here in the field. I will fight him. And if you lose, you become our slaves. But if if we lose, we will become your slaves. And he did this every single day for 40 days. How do we know that none of the soldiers actually took him up on the offer? Because he did this every day for 40 days. And no one stepped into that role. David, a young boy who was called by God, earlier in the scriptures we see in chapter 16, he was anointed by Samuel to become the next king of Israel, which was years before this, comes on the scene to help his brothers out and bring some food. And he sees this happening. And he gets angry in his heart. And he looks at this and says, who's challenging this man? 
And that's where we picked up the story when David said, don't let anyone lose heart of this Philistine. Your servant, he's talking to King Saul, is going to go and fight him. And Saul said in verse 33, you're not able to go against the Philistine and fight him. You're only a young man. He's been a warrior from his youth. The average height of an Israeli man during that time was about five and a half feet, five, six. Goliath, by estimations, according to who you look at and how you designate what a cubit was and how many cubits it was, because the Greek interpretation is different than the Hebrew, he could have been anywhere from seven feet to nine and a half feet tall. Big dude. Even if he was seven feet and I was five and a half feet, the scripture said that his armor weighed 125 pounds is what he, he had. The spearhead on his spear weighed 15 pounds. Think about how big of a man he was. And yet David said, I'm going to fight him. Saul said, you can't do this. But then look what David says in verse 34. David said to Saul, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock... I went after it, struck it, and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by his hair, struck it, and killed it. 36, your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. Saul said to David, go and the Lord be with you. David was about... 17 and 19 years old when he was having this conversation with King Saul. Look at verse 38. Then Saul dressed David in his own tunic. He put a coat of armor on him and a bronze helmet on his head. David fastened on his sword over the tunic and tried walking around because he was not used to them. I cannot go in these, he said to Saul, because I am not used to them. So he took them off. Verse 40. Then he took his staff in his hand chose five smooth stones from the stream, put them in the pouch of his shepherd's bag, and with his sling in his hand, approached the Philistine. Meanwhile, the Philistine, with his shield bearer in front of him, kept coming closer to David. He looked David over and saw that he was little more than a boy, glowing with health and handsome, and he despised him. He said to David, Am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Come here, he said, and I'll give your flesh to the birds of the wild animals. David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands, and I'll strike you down and cut off your head. This very day I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. He was less than 20 years old, and he wasn't a soldier. And listen what he's saying to this giant who was an expert in warfare. Are you with me? I mean, people could look at it and go, David was really courageous, right? He was. We're going to talk about that in a few minutes. All those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give all of you into our hands. Verse 48, as the Philistine moved closer to attack him, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet him. Reaching into his bag and taking out a stone, he slung it and struck the Philistine on the forehead. The stone sank into his forehead, and he fell face down on the ground. So David triumphed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone. 
Without a sword in his hand, he struck down the Philistine and killed him. David ran and stood over him. He took hold of the Philistine's sword and drew it from the sheath. After he killed him, he cut off his head with the sword. When the Philistines saw that their hero was dead, they turned and ran. Lord, help us rightly divide this word today. Not just to understand what happened, but to understand how it applies to us today. In your name we pray. Amen. Before I read this passage, you heard me say this, and I'm going to say this again, and we're going to put it up there again for you. Again, God doesn't waste any part of our life. He can use every experience to do what? Glorify his name and make us more like Jesus. This is so important for you and I to understand. This story is not intended for us to insert ourselves into the story and say, we are going to be like David. Just like we could be like Moses or we could be like Elijah. And listen, there are elements of truth to those things. But the concept of looking at David and Goliath through the lens of God calls us to slay our giants is such a simplistic way of looking at scripture. And it's dangerous in a way. Not because God isn't there to fight. Not because God isn't there to be our victor. That we can't overcome difficulties. That there's a battle going on between good and evil. All those things are true. The struggle that we have to look at and we need to take a step back, step back at is ask ourselves what the point of this story really is. And if we are just inserting ourselves into the story, we make the story about us and not God. This is really important for us to understand. How many times over the years have I heard, David slayed his giants and I can slay my giants and that's what that whole story is about. No, it is not. Does God do these things? Is he victorious? Will he conquer death? And does he walk with us and empower us? Yes, of course he does. But this story in itself is not designed, nor are most of the stories in the Old Testament designed for us to take who we are and put us into that story so we can be that person. No, there's a bigger piece here that I want you to think about. And if we can just walk with me for just a couple minutes, it can transform the way you think. It can transform the way you live. It can transform the way you walk with a spirit of joy. Joy is different than happiness. God wants us to walk in a spirit of joy. Happiness can be given and taken away from us in just a moment. You can be happy in a moment and you can be sad the next. I mean, think about it during the Super Bowl. Everyone was happy Sunday morning, right? Happy, 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 happy. At least here in Philadelphia. Sunday night, not so happy. In fact, people got really angry. Happiness can come in a moment and can be taken in a moment. The joy that God gives us and wants to give us should sustain us all the days of our lives. This passage, if we look at it the proper way, doesn't just give us temporary short-term hope. It teaches us a new way of thinking and looking at God that allows us to walk with a spirit of joy, not happiness. And what is that? It's that the Bible is not about us. God uses every part of our lives. He will not waste it. He can use every experience to glorify his name. When you look at the life of David, when you look at the life of David, what you will see across the trajectory of David's life is not a man who just said, because I did it, you can do it. It was a man that understood from the time he was young to the time he was older that everything he had, everything that he accomplished, everything that was who he was, was because 
God used him to make God's name great. God was responsible for it all. God was in charge of it all. God was the one who sustained him, encouraged him, supported him, drew him. All of those things were about God and they weren't about man. And if we're willing to take a step back and think about this in our lives, remember the scripture that I said from Matthew chapter 5, verse 16, our faith verse, that we're supposed to be a light and shine our light so that all men would see what our good deeds and do what? Praise our heavenly Father. What if the point of these scriptures and stories are not so we just know how to overcome the thing in the moment and see what the purpose is, but in the midst of all the stuff we walk through, what if the point of the whole thing is so that God gets the glory? And as people see you in the midst of your struggles, in the midst of your difficulties, they see you navigate it and walk through it in a way that gives God glory. What if every isolated or every incident is actually an isolated incident? And I'm not saying they are, but what if every incident actually is designed by God to be used for his glory? What if it's not about trying to plot the course to figure out where it's going? Why did I have this bad thing happen to us? Why did I lose this family member? Why did that job not work out for me? Why am I struggling with these thoughts all the time? Lord, what is the point down the road that you're going to bring all this together and show me? Ah, I let all those things happen to you for now. Now, I can tell you stories about how God uses our skills and our gifts, and I'm sure many of you could tell those too. He put you in a place of training for a period of time, and we're going to look at some of the things that applied to David. He used the training, he used the skills for a time that God showed him, but the purpose of those things was not so that God, or, or not so that us or David would conquer our giants, it's so that God would continue to be glorified. If the goal has always been God receiving the glory, and not man understanding the reasons for it. It changes the way we think. I hope that makes sense this morning. Because we will go through hardship in this life. We will go through things we don't understand. We will write our plans down in pencil, and God says you shouldn't have wrote them down at all. Well, we put them in pen, and God says write them in pencil, right? And we put them in pencil, and God says write them in white erase marker. And we put them in white erase marker, and God says just follow me. So every time we do things, it seems sometimes we have a plan, we're going to do something, and it hooks a heart right, hooks a heart left, and we don't understand, and we're always looking for what the purpose behind it is. What if the whole purpose behind all of it is, I want to be glorified in your life. I want your response in every circumstance to give me glory. Have you ever thought about it that way? This is not prosperity gospel, friends but I do think this is biblical. We're not sowing seeds so that God is obligated to give us a hundredfold or a thousandfold response. You see, all that stuff's about us and not about God. Of course, he does beautiful things. He does good things. We know this. We see in scripture, he loves his people, but maybe we are too focused on trying to connect the dots to say, because this happened, there's something down the road that has to be the reason for this. And maybe there is never going to be an answer. Here's what I'm willing to bet. I'm willing to bet all of us have experienced something or many things. If we've walked with God for any period of time and we've looked at it and we said, I just don't understand why God allowed that into my life. I don't understand why that happened. I don't understand the reason and the purpose for it. What if the purpose for it isn't that God has a plan 
that he allowed that to happen so that he could do something for you a year, two, five, ten years later? What if the whole purpose in all of that was, I work all things together for the good of those who love me, and if you trust me in that process, I will be glorified, and you will become more like Jesus. Now it's not a destination that we pursue. It's a lifestyle that becomes a lifetime. You with me? It's really important for us to think about it this way because people look at circumstances and they immediately can blame God. They can question what God's doing or they don't understand the significance behind it. And the whole time this is happening, it's like God is obligated to do something. I gave, I served, I did these things. And Jesus is saying to us many times, it's not a formula. Your life doesn't exist so that if you do all of these good things in this way, you are going to reap the reward you think you're going to reap. No, the ultimate reward is giving him glory, glorifying his name and changing us to be more like Jesus. That is the purpose of this life. And in the midst of all that, there's great things that happen and there's bad things that happen. But we know the good things when they happen. Hey, I got that job I was playing, praying for. God is good. Oh, that girl just been on my heart for years, Pastor. And I've been praying that God would put us together. Oh, we're finally together. God is so good. Mm, God is good. Ooh. Right? I got accepted to the college that I wanted to go to, Pastor. God is good. Is it true? Yeah. Of course. Of course. Mm. The doctor told me I have terminal cancer. God is good. How often do you hear that? My son took his life. We have a neighbor down the road from us. The end of last year. God is good. Is he? See where I'm going with this? I wonder what the reason for that was. Paul, what was the reason for that? Why would God allow that? And you know what I say in those situations? I don't know. And I don't think God wants us to make every situation about us. I think he wants us to look at the life we are in and say, if you will make your life a lifestyle of preparation allowing him to use you, to change you, to speak with you, to glorify his name, you will have a lifestyle. A lifestyle that starts from preparation and will move to praise. That's what it's all about. Not so that one day God stands at the end of our life here and say, here's why all these difficult things happened. Oh, thank you for finally understanding. No, I don't think that's the way it's going to work. I think one day when we close our eyes and if we're followers of Jesus, we enter into the kingdom and we see God, I don't think we're going to look before him and go, I want to know why all these things happened. I want to know. Why did she break up with me? Why did I lose? I did all the right things. That happened. Why did that happen? Why did this happen? I lived a good life and this person lived 20 years longer than me and then I died. Why did this happen? I don't think we're going to do that. You know what I think we're going to do? I think we're going to say, my Lord and my God. How great thou art. That's what I think is going to happen. And the whole point of life is to understand, to glorify his name. 
is the reason why we're here. It's not to understand every reason that has, and I'm saying this over and over and over this morning because I think if you are in any way like me, you need to hear it over and over. Why? Because I'm stupid and I don't think about it all the time. I get selfish and I'm human and I say, God, why is this happening? Or I get frustrated with this. And then you sit down and you look at the word and you let God speak to you and the Holy Spirit speaks to you and he says, this isn't about the issue. The circumstance isn't the problem, Paul. Your response in the circumstance is what I'm looking for. Your response to have a lifestyle of, of, of practice and preparation so that in every situation, the world around you, your friends, your family, your community, your church, everyone will look at you and go, what is it about that person that anything that happens to him or her, he still, she still gives praise to God. Do you know there are examples in scripture of where this happens? The apostle Paul is one of the best examples of this. I love this guy. I would never have wanted to be the apostle Paul. Any threat that came to him, he had a response to. We're going to kill you. Oh, well, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Leave him alone. We'll let him live. Okay, well. To live as Christ, to die as gain. All right, that's cool. What? You better shut up. Or we're going to put you in prison. Okay. We'll sing hymns and praises till midnight. And the angels will come, and the jailers will all get saved, and God will be glorified. <clears throat> you know, I mean, this is what I think like the enemy looks at every situation and says, You can't mess with this guy. Because every situation, he didn't sit there and say, oh Lord, what am I supposed to do? Why is this happening? What is your purpose down? One day I'm going to meet someone who was in jail and I'm going to talk to them and they're going to say, I was in jail and I was in stocks. You know, I was in jail too. I was in jail too. We can relate about this. This was the whole purpose why God put me in jail. And God says, no, the purpose why and the reason why you were in jail has nothing to do with that situation. God uses that situation to say, be preparing yourself to give me a lifetime of praise. If you're in stocks, praise the Lord. If God's blessed you with an abundance of of wealth or prosperity, use your life to bless the Lord and glorify his name. If you're confused, if you're discouraged, use that opportunity to praise the Lord and glorify his name. The way we get through things is what the world looks at to see the genuineness and authenticity of Jesus Christ as our savior. It is not the goodness. Listen, the truth of the matter is if everyone was supposed to be millionaires, when we came to Jesus, that's one absolutely ridiculous. It doesn't translate into any other culture, except usually our culture, the American culture, and people flock to that stuff. It's not what we do. It's how we respond. There's no destination that we have to plan. And I'm sharing this with you and I'm saying it over and over again because I think when we look at our difficulties and our situations, that is the danger that we have. That we look at every circumstance and we say, Lord, instead of saying, what was the purpose in this? We say, how are you preparing me through this so that I can give you a lifetime of praise? David understood it. In every part of his life, God was glorified. And I have a few examples I want to show you. I'm going to show you some on slides and I'm just going to read a few so you can understand. I'm going to backtrack a little bit. When God chose David over his seven brothers in 1 Samuel 16, look at this with me. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height for I have rejected him. 
The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. When God chose Samuel, he chose the one that would give him the greatest glory because he looked at his heart. He chose the one that no one else even considered. His own father didn't bring him in from the field to be considered as one of the eight brothers who would be anointed king. Think about that. He went through all seven of the brothers that Jesse brought. When Samuel said, bring your sons, God's going to anoint one of them king. And when he first looked at the first son, Samuel said, this surely has to be the one. Oh my goodness, look at this guy. I mean, he's the cat's meow. He's GQ central. He's whatever he is. And, and, and God's response to him was, no, 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 don't consider his appearance. I've rejected this one. Keep going and I'll tell you which one it is. He gets through all seven of the brothers and what does he say at the end? Do you have any more sons? Well, there is one more. He's out tending the sheep. It's like Jesse was thinking, surely the last kid can't be the one. Even his own father didn't see it. And yet in choosing David, who received the glory and the honor? God, not man. After David was chosen, I'm just going to share this. After David was chosen in 1 Samuel 16, 12 through 13, he was anointed and the scripture says the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon him. So in his anointing, God was glorified. While David was a shepherd and he was being a shepherd for his father and tending to the sheep, we read this earlier in verses 39 through 40, he went Um, He rescued David, I'm sorry, in in verses 37, God rescued David from the paw of the lion and the bear. 18-year-old kid, 17, 18-year-old kid out in the wilderness with the sheep, and he didn't just strike a lion or a bear, but when they turned on him, he said he took him and he killed him with his hands. Anybody want to try that? No way. Who got the glory? God gets the glory. He takes things that seem impossible to man and he makes them possible. Even though Saul gave David his personal armor, I love this one. Even though Saul gave him man's solution and his personal armor, in verses 39 through 40, David goes into battle as who? Himself, not as someone else. Why? Because a little ruddy kid with no armor and a tunic is going to defeat a nine and a half foot giant. Is that God or is that man? That's God. God was glorified in that situation. And when he confronted Goliath, he came in the power and the strength of God, the scripture says. In verse 45, I'm just going to read this for you. He said to Goliath, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel. That's what he was saying. Do you understand the difference? He's saying, I'm not coming to you in my own strength. I'm a nobody. But God's going to use this situation to give himself glory. And he certainly did. Fast forward to when David became king. You could say, did he still understand this after he became king? Yes, he did. And there are many examples that we see over and over again. When he became king, he said this when they dedicated the temple. In 1 Chronicles 29, 10 through 12. He said, praise be to you, Lord, the God of our father, Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Look what he says. Yours, Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor for everything in heaven and earth is yours. And then he says, yours, Lord, is the kingdom. You are exalted as head over all. And then verse 12, he says, wealth and honor come from you. 
You are the ruler of all things. In your hands are strength and power to exalt and give strength to all. But who am I and who are my people that we should be able to give generously as this? And then he says, everything comes from you and given, and we have given you only what comes from your hand. When did David write this? decades after he fought Goliath. Some of you don't know the story, and I'm not going to go through all the, the Psalms, but there are many Psalms that David wrote because he was anointed as king probably between about maybe 11 or 12 years old up to about 15. He fought Goliath between like maybe 16 and 19 years old, and then he ran for his life. He ran for his life until he was almost 30 years old when he became king of Israel, hiding from Saul, being threatened by Saul, hiding in caves, going to other nations, being ratted out by other nations so Saul could find him. And you see psalm after psalm after psalm where he penned the same thematic context. It wasn't, oh God, why is this happening? There has to be a reason that you're going to use this struggle in the future. It was always, God is my hope. God is my strength. God is my salvation. God, I'm going to respond to God during this situation by glorifying his name. That's what he did. And when he became king, he did the exact same thing. This morning, we're going to take a few moments and our worship team is going to come as we get ready to close. And I'd ask you to just reflect with me on a few questions. Reflect on a few questions with me. Number one, is God building a lifestyle in preparation in you? When you look at your life and you look through the things that you're dealing with and you're walking through, is God building a lifestyle of preparation in you? Basically, I'm asking you, where are your, your pain points? Where are the struggles that you're dealing with? What are the, the, the things that you're dealing? Is it unforgiveness or bitterness? Is it a physical pain? Is it an emotional pain? Is it a circumstance that you just need God to change? I don't know what your situations are, and I don't want to try to guess. But in your life, whatever you're working through, is it in your, your friendships, your marriages, your, your parenting? Is God building a lifestyle of preparation in you? That's the question. What is he bringing to your mind right now to say, I am bringing these things to you. You're facing these things right now. If you will, they're like a giant. What are you facing? But the next question I think is really the most significant one. How have you seen God being glorified through it? I didn't say, how do you think God's going to fix it? How God's going to solve your problem? I didn't ask that question. My question is, how have you seen God being glorified through it? If I can say it a different way, how is God using that situation to make his name great? How is he making you more like Jesus in the process? I know this isn't like seriously popular way of looking at this scripture. It's easier for us to jump on the bandwagon and say, he's my victor, and he fought Goliath, and, and he, conquered the, 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 he conquered the giant, and because he conquered the giant, I can conquer all of my giants. He's the victor, and let's sing the same songs that say, we have the victory, we have the victory, we have the victory. And does God do that sometimes? You bet he does. And can we sing his praises for the times where they work according to what our expectation is? Of course. But what if the bigger piece in this isn't because he wanted you to be happy? He wanted his name to be great. And in that situation, the greatest way for his name to be great is for it to work out the way you hoped it worked out. 
And then when other things don't work out the way you want them to be, does it mean that God is not working? Or does it mean we're just focusing on the wrong thing? Because if we focus on the right thing, the end result's still the same. His name can be made great. He can be lifted high. If we recognize our life is supposed to be a lifestyle of preparation for a lifetime of praising God, then we can say that he is truly in control, that he is our source of life and provision. This is what the world needs from the body of Christ this way, this, this morning, church. Our world does not need to hear that everything's great with Jesus and he's going to break through every circumstance of our life the way we think. It's in the midst of everything we deal with. His name will be glorified. His name will be praised. He is God. He is in control. He is the potter. He is the artist. And as the writer says, we are the canvas. We are the clay. Does that make sense? I can't emphasize how important this is. Romans 8, 28 through 30 says this, and then we're going to close in this song. Look what Paul says. And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. For God knew his people in advance and he chose them to be like his son so that his son would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And having chosen them, he called them to come to him. And having called them, he gave them right standing with himself. And having given them right standing, he gave them his glory. I don't know if we have the slides for that, but I just want to say, God knew his people in advance. He chose them to become like his son, the scripture says. He called them. He chose them. And he gave us or gave them the right to become sons and daughters. He gave them the glory. Who calls us? Who chooses us? Who gives us the glory? God gives it to us. And our response is our life is supposed to be a lifestyle of praise before him. I'm going to invite you to stand, if you can, just for a few moments as we worship the Lord. And we invite him into this place today. Lord, I pray that as we take a few moments and sing this song, we would be mindful and we would be responsive to know that you've called us to walk this journey out, to know you, to love you, and to give you praise in all that we do. In your name we pray.